All right, so most of you know by now we've been doing a Summer Through the Scriptures series. Um, <clears throat> we've been started out reading through the book of John and Acts, and so <clears throat> we've been... Uh, pastor's been preaching about that on Sunday mornings. By the way, if you haven't noticed, he's gone on vacation this week, um, in case you're wondering. Um, so we're just having a, 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 a time where we're missing him, but we're praying that he'll have a wonderful time of refreshing and uh, renewing while he's gone away. Uh, but the summer in the scriptures, uh, along with that, uh, there's a Bible reading plan still available in the back. You can read along with us. If you haven't started yet, well, I don't want to say that you haven't missed anything, but you're not behind either. Um, and what I mean is that we are doing uh, every week, uh, a plan is laid out for us to read together. Uh, there are groups that meet each week to discuss uh, those passages. This last week, we've been talking about John chapter 6 through 9. Next week, we'll be talking, I think it's 11 through 15. Uh, those groups meet on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. So, <clears throat> yeah, we could, uh, you could join in those things. Uh, we had an enjoyable time the last couple of weeks in the group that I meet with on Wednesday evening at 6 o'clock. So, uh, <clears throat> Somebody can tell I've already talked too much this morning. Thank you, Mike. So, <clears throat> I talk a lot, but not usually this much in one morning. So, um, this week we were studying uh, John chapter 6, uh, 8, 9. Uh, there are lots of great accounts of the life of Christ there and the events of his life. I want to focus in this morning on John chapter 1. Uh, or John chapter 1. John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. Now, it'd be a little different this morning. Uh, I'm not going to read the entire passage. We're going to read it eventually, but we're going to do bits and pieces at a time. But before I begin, I want to let you know there are three things that I want you to know this morning, and I want you to remember when we're done. And the first thing that I want you to understand is that God has a plan. If you didn't know that already, God has a plan. The scriptures, the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation is God's way of telling us what his plan was. He created, he had a plan for creation. He's worked out his plan. He continues to work out his plan for creation. And he has a plan for creation and for what comes next. God has a plan. So remember that. The second thing, during this lifetime... There will come times of testing. I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news like that, but there are going to be times in your life that are going to be rough and tough. Just remember that this morning. And then the third thing I want you to remember is that God has more than enough. No matter what you need, no matter what you are um, feeling or going through, God has enough of everything you need to get you through it. So you remember those three 
things. You'll hear those again. So we're going to start at John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. And it says, sometime after this, and what came before the after this, Jesus had uh, been in Jerusalem, and there was a man laying by a pool. Uh, He'd been there, I think, if I remember right, 30 some odd years, laying there trying to get healed. And uh, he just couldn't manage it on his own. Jesus came by and he says, tell you what, get up, walk. And take your mat and go on about your business. You're healed. And when he did that, uh, he began a dispute with the Jewish leaders there in Jerusalem. And they uh, began to wonder who he was and what he was and what he was about. And uh, they uh, were upset with him. And in fact, uh, at some points in time uh, during his lifetime, they tried to kill him. So Jesus, rather than... uh, be involved in that controversy, decided it was time for him to leave Jerusalem. So that's where we pick up the story. So the after this uh, is his trip to um, the far side of the shore of Galilee uh, or the Sea of Tiberias, it's sometimes called. And that was not an itty bitty trip. Um, Some of you have to check me out. I, I, I got on Google and, you know, Google's good for everything, right? just don't trust everything it tells you. But in this case, I was on Google Maps, and I said, how far is it from Jerusalem to Tiberias? And it's about 100 miles. And if they were on the far shore, it might have been 120. So this wasn't just a short trip that Jesus took. I mean, it took two days, two and a half days, maybe more, uh, probably more. If I were going to walk 100 miles, it'd take me a lot more than a couple of days. Uh, but anyway, Jesus and his, his crew uh, left Jerusalem, and Jesus went up by the Sea of Galilee. And there, the Bible tells us that he began, he sat down and began to teach the people. Um, <clears throat> but it wasn't just his disciples that followed him. If you read that passage there in John, it says that a great multitude followed him, a great crowd of people, a huge crowd, if you will, followed him that day because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. And then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. And it tells us what time of year it was. The Jewish Passover festival was near, so it was kind of springtime. So I imagine it was kind of a nice day to sit down and have a picnic. The people that followed Jerusalem from Jerusalem, boy, I'll get my tongue right yet. The people that were following Jesus, I assume they had come mostly from Jerusalem because they had seen this miracle that Jesus did in Jerusalem. And here's something that just, I mean, it caught their attention. They were amazed. They just couldn't quit talking about it. They wondered what would happen next. And so it says that a huge crowd followed him. In fact, you read a little bit later on the passage, it says 5,000 men. So if you count just the men, and then you add on any women and children that came, there was quite a crowd that followed Jesus through uh, the wilderness up to the Sea of Galilee. And he sat down and he began to teach them. Now, why did these people follow Jesus? Because of the miracles. Because what they thought they might see or what they might get next. Um, Miracles attract attention. You know, if we hear about a miracle today, you know, we're, oh, you know, I got, I got to read about this. Uh, you, do, you do what I did. You know, you Google miracles. What do you find? I found one. It's interesting. Um, thousands of people are flocking to a little town in Missouri. It's called Gower, Missouri. And it's about, uh, I think it says it's about 40 miles north of Kansas City. And why are people flocking there? 
They are going there to see the body of Sister, I'll get her name right, Angel, no, Wilhelmina Lancaster. She's an African-American nun who died back in May of 2019. She was 95 years old. And they buried her there in the cemetery. <clears throat> A few years later, in 2023, back in May or April, uh, they decided to exhume her body because they were going to move her body to a new resting place and a new shrine and a new uh, church. And when they dug it up, it was a miracle. Her body has not decayed. Four years in the grave, and she hadn't decayed. This was considered a miracle, and so thousands of people are going to Gower, Missouri, who nobody's ever heard of, to witness this miracle and give thanks to the Lord for what he's done in preserving this body. Miracles attract attention, you know? And that's exactly what happened in Jesus' day. The people were excited. They wanted to see what Jesus could do next. So they followed him 100 miles into the wilderness. And he sat down with his disciples there, and he was sitting on the hillside, and he looked out, and he saw this big crowd coming towards him. And he kind of leaned over to Philip, who happened maybe to be the, the closest disciple to him. And he said, hey, Philip, see all those people? How are we going to feed them? Philip goes, I don't know. That was almost what he said. He said, Lord, you know, it is such a big crowd that even if we had half a year's wages... We couldn't feed him. There's no way we could feed all these people. Now, Jesus, when he talked to Philip, he wasn't asking Philip for a solution for the problem because Jesus had a plan already. He asked Philip this, how, this question because he wanted to test him. He wanted to see how great his faith was. He wanted to see if he really believed that Jesus was God and that he was big enough to meet the need. You know, <clears throat> Philip wasn't expecting a test, but it came. I want to remind you this morning that wherever there's a need, Jesus has a plan. He didn't go into this not knowing how to fix the problem. He didn't go into this without the means to fix the problem. He had a plan, but he wanted to get test Philip. And testing is something that's going to happen. It is part of God's plan for us. God's plan may include a test in your life. It's happened throughout the scriptures. You remember the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. Abraham was an old, 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 old man. He was 35. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, actually, he was 99. <clears throat> and the Lord came by and said, you are going to have a brand new baby boy. Yeah. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> oh, Abraham said, okay, Lord, I'm not sure how this is going to happen. I'm old. She's old. But sure enough, God was able and he had a brand new baby boy. And <clears throat> I'm sure that Abraham was just so excited as he watched this child grow up and become a young man. And it tells us in Genesis chapter 22 that God had a test for Abraham. 
said, Abraham, you know that child I gave you? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the child out into the wilderness. I want you to sacrifice his life as an offering to me. Abraham said, okay, Lord. So he took his son, took wood for the fire, and they went out into the wilderness. And Abraham went so far as to raise the knife over his son, ready to end his life as an offering to God before God put a stop to it and provided another sacrifice. It was a test to see if Abraham would be obedient, to see if he believed. And it happens over and over and over again in the scriptures where God uses the circumstances of our life as a test. Uh, In um, Exodus chapter 16, uh, God sends manna to feed the children of Israel. They have escaped from Egypt and they're out in the desert and they've run out of the food they brought and they're beginning to grumble and go, God, why'd you do this to us? Why'd you put us in such a bad spot, God? You know, better we should be eaten out of the pots of Egypt and be slaves than be out here and die in the desert. Oh, Lord, we're so hungry. And God says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to send you manna, but it's going to be a test. He says, I'm going to meet your needs, but it's going to be a test to see if you'll follow my instructions. And it says that, here's the instructions. The manna will come down at night, and you will go out and you will gather enough, up enough for the day. And that's all you're supposed to gather, just enough for the day. And then <clears throat> on the day before the Sabbath, you can gather up two days. And uh, so Israel said, well, we don't know what this manna stuff is, but okay, Lord, you know. So the manna came down from heaven, and the Israelites saw it, and they thought, wow, here's a blessing from God. I'm going to gather up as much of this as I can get. And so they went out and they began to grab the stuff and pile it up and stack it up and store it in their houses, and that was a mistake. It wasn't what God told them to do. You know why it was a mistake? Because the next morning when they woke up, the manna was full of worms and stunk. So you can imagine the mess they had because they hadn't followed God's instructions. Now, the interesting thing about manna was every day it would rot and stink except on the Sabbath day. God would somehow miraculously make that stuff last an extra day. All they had to do was follow the instructions. It was a test from the Lord to see if they would follow his instructions. Deuteronomy chapter 8, they're reminded that God sent them through the wilderness to humble and test them so that in the end it might go well with you. Uh, It talks about, oh, there's a bunch of these. I won't go through all of them. Um, The Apostle Paul, he went through severe testing. Peter Chapter 4, verse 12, 1 Peter, reminds us that there will be tests. In fact, he calls them fiery ordeals. And he says, the fiery ordeal that has come to test you. Don't think about that as something strange because we are going to face problems, opposition, whatever you want to call it. We're going to face it in this world. There are going to be difficulties. 
Isn't that good news? No, the good news is Jesus has a plan. God has a plan. Even through all of these things we've mentioned, through the fiery trials, through all of the problems that Israel faced, through all the things that happened, even Jesus himself faced problems. You know? People hated him. People turned their backs on him. People wanted to kill him. People did kill him. But God had a plan. That's the good news. God has a plan. And Jesus had a plan that day. when he asked Philip, how are we going to feed all these people? I I want to share with you a story. This is a guy um, that his name is Corey. And Corey is a missionary to the country of Haiti. And he had been serving in Haiti for a number of years. And then stuff began to happen. You know, they had gone to Haiti. They had set up a... Uh, he particularly does a ministry where he teaches people how to grow food and then uh, participates in a ministry that teaches people uh, how to take care of their health. And if you've ever been to Haiti, those are two really, 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 really big needs in that country. And so he had all of this stuff going. And then all of a sudden, 2019, there was COVID. And then All of the missionaries had to be evacuated because of the political unrest and the gangs that were taking over Haiti. And he says to his supporters, we appreciate the support of our partners. We know that this term looks nothing like what we or you expected when we started the summer of 2019. COVID, evacuation, the closing of Haiti to travel, uh, the uh, then uh, reassignment to Africa, problems getting their... uh, visas in Zambia. He said, those were all surprises to us, but thankfully not to the Lord. He said, he goes on to say, we wait to see what the next term may potentially look like. Fully knowing even when we think we know the plan, we need to hold things lightly and be ready for the Lord to change things up. He said, I heard an acronym of faith today. And when he went to look it up, he said he found a lot of them. And and it includes things like fully and inevitably trusting him, faith, or forwarding all issues to heaven. You see, his, Corey's entire life and ministry were turned upside down through things he couldn't control. What a test. Is God in this? Did God forget me? Does God not love us anymore? And he says, you know, none of this was a surprise to God. It was all part of of his plan, and I'm looking forward to going with God the rest of the way. Philip didn't know the plan, and he said to Jesus, you know, it's going to take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for everybody to have even just a little bite or a snack. You see, Philip, I kind of like Philip, because Philip offered a realistic assessment of the situation. That's kind of the way I am. I'm a realist. Philip looked at what was going on and said, you know, there aren't enough resources available, Lord. I don't know what to do. Close by was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he said, well, you know, I found this kid. He's got five barley loaves and two small fish. But what, how far will that go among so many? There's another realistic assessment. He said, Got this big problem. Got all these people to feed, and we've got a little bit of stuff, but that's not enough. It's not going to work. 
See, Philip and Andrew, they saw the problem, but they did not see the provider. And they tried to tell God how to meet the need. Philip said, we're going to need a lot of money. Andrew said, we're going to need more of what we got. They didn't know that God had a plan. Jesus put the plan into action. He said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. And about 5,000 men were there. And Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. Did you catch that? As much as they wanted. Not just barely enough to keep them alive. Not enough to say, well, we had lunch, maybe we'll get a big dinner. No, as much as they wanted. Not just enough, but way more than enough. I got to tell you, God can do more than we can possibly imagine. And when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. Just kind of an aside here, not part of the real lesson, but use everything that God provides. If God gives it to you, use it to bless the people around you. So it says they gathered gathered up all of the leftovers and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Way more than enough. Way more. I told the 8 o'clock service, I have a mind that's a little different. Do you ever think weird thoughts about the scripture? You know what I'm wondering here? Why wasn't there any leftover fish? I've asked people all week long. Nobody's come up with a good explanation for it. There's 12 baskets full of leftover bread, but there's no leftover fish. Do I? Doesn't hold well. well. That's exactly my thought. Glenn's right. You know, the fish doesn't keep. So, you know, Jesus said, okay, well, we'll make just enough of that, but we'll have plenty of bread left over. And there's 12 baskets full. And so then what did they do with the leftovers? I don't know. Yeah, I wonder who they gave the leftovers to. Anyway, that's it. In- the animals, okay. Maybe. Somebody's got, somebody's got the answer. I wasn't there. I don't know. All I know is there was way more than enough. And after the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And I know, I'm pretty sure in their minds, when they thought prophet, uh, if you read through the Old Testament, you find that a lot of times when they talk about the prophets, they're referring to Moses. And Moses was the one who provided water and manna and quail in the desert. So they're thinking, okay, here's another prophet who's going to give us what we need to eat and drink, and stay alive. Or maybe they were thinking about Elijah. And Elijah went to the home of a widow who was down to her last bit of bread-making materials. The last little bit of flour in her house, and the last little bit of oil in her house. And she says, I don't know what we're going to do. We're out of resources. And Elijah says, well, just keep making bread out of that oil. And they made bread, 
and the, there was more oil and more flour. And they kept making bread, and there was more oil, and there was more flour, and it went on and on and on, and God provided and met the need more than they could have imagined. Or maybe they were thinking of the prophet Elisha. Elisha went to the home of a widow who was in a similar situation. She was down to her last little bit of oil. It was the only thing she had. No money, no resources. And Elijah says, well, go gather up some jugs and just start pouring that oil into jugs. And in my mind, I see her little tiny, you know, what's the word, cruet? Is that the word? Little tiny container of oil. She's got a little tiny container of oil and she's got these big jugs and she starts pouring and it keeps coming and it keeps coming. She fills the big jug. She keeps pouring, she keeps pouring. She fills the big, and she filled and filled and filled and filled until the jugs ran out. More than enough. More than enough. So these people are thinking, Moses fed us. Elijah provided an unending supply. Elisha had an unending supply. Here's Jesus, the prophet. He's going to provide us with an unending supply. What a deal. We'll make him king. And then he'll just conjure up all this stuff and we'll never have to work or do another day's labor ever. Jesus said, no, no, guys. That's not the plan. And it says it. He knew they intended to come and make him king by force, and he withdrew again to a mountain. I told you there were three things I wanted you to know this morning, three things I want you to remember. First one is that God's got a plan. None of us are here by accident. None of us have gone through the things that we've gone through by accident. It's part of God's plan. Not all of them have been fun. I can attest to that. There have been things in my life that have shook me. Things that I would not have wished for. Things that shouldn't happen. But it's part of God's plan. Sometimes God uses things in our lives to point out to us that our faith is not as big as it could be or should be. Sometimes he uses things that come into our lives, refers to it in the scriptures, refines us like silver. We go into a furnace, we get heated up, and the junk comes out of us, and the only thing that's left is the pure love and worship of God. God has a plan. I promise, God has a plan. The other thing I want you to know is that testing is just going to come. It's going to be part of life. Maybe today you're having a super day and life is good and you go out in the parking lot and there'll be a flat tire. And you'll say, God doesn't love me anymore. I got a flat. Or it could be worse. But the bus has a flat. Yes. You want to hear that story? Ask any of our teenagers what happened on the way home. So they'll tell you the story. Um, <clears throat> it all turned out well. All turned out well. So, um, but you know, we're tempted in those times to think God doesn't love us anymore. God doesn't care. God's not watching out for us. No. God has a plan. Testing is a part of that plan, either to refine us or to grow us. And the other thing I want you to remember is that God has more than enough. There is no need that can come to your life that God cannot meet.
And then there's one more thing I want you to, to know this morning. One more thing, I, or one thing I want you to do this morning. I want you to trust God. If God has a plan, and God knows what we're going through, and God has the resources to meet it, let's trust him. Let's look back over our lives if we need to. Let's look back through the scriptures. Let's see how God has always been faithful, how God has always been a part of what's going on in our lives, how God has always delivered us, how God has always met our need, and let's trust him for the future. Let's not listen to that little voice that says, God doesn't care, God doesn't love you. That's a lie. God cares for you. God has a plan. God has a way to meet your need. God will help you through anything that comes into your life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for reminding us from your word today of just how faithful you are. We might face a problem. It might be a big problem. It might be a huge problem. We may think there's no way out. And yet, Lord, you've reminded us today that you have a plan. And that even in those tough times of testing, you're with us. You're on our side. You're helping us. And that you have the resources to meet our need. And so, Father, today, I'm going to trust you with my life, with the circumstances of life, with the things that are coming ahead, things that I don't even have a clue about yet, but they're part of your plan, part of what will bring you glory. Because by God, it's not about me. It's not about what I want, or what I need. It's about you about bringing you glory. And so, Father, I trust you today with my life, with my circumstances. Lord, may the Holy Spirit, in those times, remind us that you're present, that you're working, and you're victorious. And, Father, we will give you praise in the name of Jesus, our Savior.